Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and this is a weekly podcast where we talk to improv teachers about the art of teaching improv. This week, I'm really excited to be bringing you Nick Armstrong. I sat down with Nick at the Tampa Improv Festival, and I've also known Nick for quite a few years because of Improv Utopia Camp. But Nick is much more than that. He's an actor, improviser, and writer living in Los Angeles, California. He has been seen on the Emmy Award-winning shows The Office and Grey's Anatomy. He's made appearances on Jimmy Kimmel Live, New Girl, Hot in Cleveland, Stand Against Evil, and Parks and Recreation. Nick is trained at the Groundlings and I.O. West. He's an alum of the Sunday Company at the Groundlings and currently performs at the world-famous I.O. West on L.A.'s critically acclaimed Herald team, King 10. He is also the artistic director of MI's Westside Comedy Theater and teaches improv and performs there. And he probably teaches more than improv. He actually probably teaches all kinds of classes. He also has taught improv at ILS, the Groundlings Now Improv, and workshops all over the world. Like I said, he's the camp director and founder of Camp Improv Utopia, a nonprofit improv retreat for grown-ups. He is also a founding member of the Improv Network, and you can find more at improvutopia.com and theimprovnetwork.org. It was so fun to sit down and talk with Nick. He's got great advice. He's a community builder. He's a connector. And I hope you enjoyed this as much as I have. So thank you once again for listening to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. Yeah, like we'll just, right now, we'll just start. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh hello. Hello. I'm an old man. <laughs> um, what, uh, what was your first teaching experience, actually? Man, um, probably at I.O. I don't remember exactly... Because I started coaching okay. first. Okay. Uh, and then I taught at I.O. for a bit. When you were, were you approached to coach or some, or were you assigned? You, you I was approached to coach. I remember, uh, you know, they, it was, uh, it was it, kind of what happens to a lot of people. It's like, I like the way you play. You should coach. And I was like, okay. And it was really weird for me because I remember I asked permission from like Craig, I remember going like, cause back then it was a very new scene out in LA. Okay. I didn't know. I was like, Hey, am I ready to coach? And he goes, yeah, you should try it. You know, like let's get into it. Like, you know, like you need to say that, but it was, you know, I, I, I didn't know if I was like, I, I think I'm too young to do this. And this was way back now. Everybody's coaching. Like, right. but it was more like, I feel like everybody's like, it, I don't know if I'm, allowed to be a teacher. Well, I was going to say, had that even crossed your mind no, at that point? Okay. it didn't because I was still, I felt I was still going through training and I right. felt, still felt I was trying to get better as a performer. And I, I, I never thought about coaching. I mean, eventually down the road, but you have to understand, like when I was going through in LA, there wasn't a huge scene. Right. So like there wasn't a lot of availability for that. And especially like the major theaters, uh, and, and, there wasn't a lot of improvisers to coach. So there wasn't a lot of teams to do. Right. So there wasn't a lot of spots. Okay. Did you, uh, I mean, when you started out improv, was improv, was improv like when you fell in love with it, mm-hmm. were you like, this is it, I'm doing this for the rest of my life kind of thing? Or yeah. was it an add-on to other things? No, I think um, I always wanted to be an actor. Okay. So I've come from an acting background, uh, college I studied. I mean, I've been doing acting since I was a kid. And um, when I, my friend, uh we were living in Long Beach at the time in Los Angeles area, 
And he's like, let's go to I.O. I have a friend that is performing there. I was like, I never heard of it. He's like, it's improv. It'll be fun. So we go up. And I remember seeing this show called Youth Group, <laughs> which I always I always tell the story. Um, and they did this amazing thing uh, where they made a Chicago-style pizza oven and um, put uh, this girl, Sarah G., who was a performer at the time, uh, into the them as a pizza. And then I was like, oh, that was cool. And they're like, oh, wait, no one can see the pizza cooking. So they all shifted on their butts and turned around with her inside of them and showed her cooking inside of it. It was just, and I was like, I don't know what this is, <laughs> but I finally found what I want to do. Okay. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. It was that epiphany moment. I think a lot of people have yeah. it. Yeah. And that was it. It was like, this is cool. So I signed up for classes. Okay. At IO. And so, okay. So then, so you start coaching. And then did that lead to teaching? Yeah. Okay. That led to teaching. Because I, then I got in the system. I was on a Herald team. Okay. I, then I was on a Herald team at I.O. Then Was King Ten your first and only Herald team? No. Oh, okay. No, I went through many oh, Herald okay. teams okay. before I got the King Ten. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then once you get in there, then you can coach a Herald team. And I did that. And okay. And I started teaching at I.O. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so when you started teaching I.O., what did they have a system of training the teachers at that time? Or was it just like, no. oh, you're in the system? There's a curriculum. Okay. I mean, you had to shadow. I'm sorry. I, I take that back. You did like I shadow Craig. Okay. Because uh, uh, you had to be with him a few weeks in his class right. and stuff like that. What level was the first class you taught? Oh, man. I think level one. Okay. I think it was level and one. And the curriculum was already in place. Yeah. Okay. How flexible were they with, like, we just want you to hit these top things, or... You know, the, back then, honestly, there was not a lot of that kind of over-your-shoulder okay. stuff. I mean, it, the, the curriculum was pretty straightforward. Right. Uh, so, I followed it, and, okay. like, you know, if I had my own opinions on something, I would say it. Okay. You know, I still do that to this day. <laughs> <You> <laughs> right, know, right, right. I mean, yeah, you, right. there's curriculum, and then there's individuality of people taking your classes that are going to need different needs. Right. So, as you... Um, Progress. You kept. You continued to teach at I O for a bit, mm -hmm. and then um, you started. Uh, I mean, if we because if we jump to where you are now at mm -hmm. Westside, you're artistic director. Mm -hmm. Are you teaching at Westside as well? I have not started teaching okay. yet because I'm getting into my position there. I'm only okay. two months deep at this point. Okay. So I said I would start in the new year. But you've been. But they're rolling over a new curriculum there too. So. And that. Um, but you have, but between that, you've taught a ton. Yes. Yes. So I started. I stopped teaching school. I started to stop. I didn't. I wasn't teaching at IO anymore. I, I started teaching at the Groundlings a little bit, and I was doing that on a little bit of base. But I didn't. You know, honestly, I I, I was more of a one that wanted to move around. I didn't want to stay to one theater. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Like at the time, and I wanted to go to workshops, and I love the festival circuit and reaching out to the. Almost like a grassroots movement. Obviously, we created the improv network. Right. And things started changing. And I saw the improv community changing. And I said, hey, we don't – I can't just – I i can't just be stuck here teaching just L.A. people. I want to go and teach people that don't have these kind of teachers and bring those teachers to them. Right. And then hence camp and then the networks. Right. And things like that. When you started doing – when you – do you remember the first workshop you taught at a festival? Oh, my gosh. I think it was the Phoenix Improv Festival. Okay. I'd have to say probably 10 years or more. 
before ago. Okay. Now, did you create the curriculum for that workshop? Yes. Okay. And when you create a curriculum, how do you work? Do you work with like the end of like, I want them to be able to do X by the end, or do you go like, oh, I want, I like this exercise to build on this exercise? I'm going to tell you the truth about this. So I, sometimes to sell your workshop, you have to tell the producer what you want. Okay. To do. And, and I always ask the producer sometimes, what does your community need? Okay. What do you see lacking? And then I'll make a workshop around Okay. It. Or I'll go, this is that workshop. Okay. Or if I go to a community and lo- sometimes they have their local shows on a night. Sure. I'll go watch all their shows. Okay. And then I'll go, this is what they need. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, and then I'll have my workshop, but I'll kind of tailor it a little, right. little bit more to what I've seen and consistently happening in the shows that are their, supposed to be their best representations of their community. Right. Which oftentimes are great, but there's there's some things in there. And often, sometimes it's like, well, they're not even there yet. Well, so. and it's because like a lot of times, as you know, they're an isolated community or they don't sure, have... Sure, yeah. And, and yeah, they, have, they don't have access to it. Right. And I've definitely seen those communities. And, and so I think like an improviser, you have to improv sometimes, you know? I mean, part of the game of getting workshops is selling yourself a little bit and your your background and improv and all that stuff but you know i think also part of it is really seeing what that community needs don't just come and do something like thematic work when they're not ready for that you right. know some people go i have a theme workshop I'm like oh this looks amazing I'm like okay i have a few questions for you this this and this you know and they go like oh and i was like no they can't take this class yet you know they're not ready for that um, I think these are ones I would recommend for your things because and, I've done that before where I didn't do that okay. and they would do the theme workshop because they thought it was amazing and I go teach it and it'd be all over their head because they don't even have some of the fundamentals down. Right. And it's more advanced. So then I started, this is an advanced class, right. you know, then I was able to, you know, through trial and error, figure something I was going to say, and you, you did all this by going and watching and teaching yes. and learning. And, that's- and then I take workshops, not only to be an improviser doing it, but to see how other teachers teach. Right. Like I'll go, I was in Detroit a couple years ago and TJ Jagodowski was teaching. I was like, I've never taken TJ before, seen him perform. I was like, I'm going to do it. So I, I didn't just sit in the background. I participated, but I was not only learning improv from TJ, I was watching how he teaches and how he connects to people. And uh, Jill Bernard's another one of those people that I was stalking and watching at my camps and just, you know, the lucky thing is I have a camp where I get to bring these amazing teachers (laughs) and sometimes I can just sit and watch them and, uh, you know, see how they do it. And they go, oh, you know, she says that much better than I do. Right. You know, like more effectively. Yes. And I think like, I was telling someone this last night, I was like, we're dentists and doctors, if you call it. And they have to always go to training to keep their license, right? Or else they lose their license. Improvisers don't have licenses, but if you want to lose your ability to get better or have people like performing with you, I think you and to be a good teacher, a great teacher. I think you always have to be learning, and you always have to be, you know, checking in and seeing how the new, how improv is evolving. You know, if we just sat on our, you know, hands and didn't, I stayed at I O and just taught curriculum. You know, we would have never busted out. Right. You know. Um, but and I, and it's no secret that Craig Kikowski is a mentor of yours. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, did you find you were just parroting a lot of what Craig said? Um, yeah, because that was my frame of reference. He had taught me three years doing the JTS. Uh, yeah, about three years doing the JTS Brown. Right. And so, which taught me that improv is more than just 
improv and comedy was art. And so, yeah, at first, and I still think I do some of Craig. I still quote Craig, you know, like I I still take a lot of that and the way I perform, you know, I'm a much different performer than Craig, I will say, but like, I still feel like the principles of what he does is inside of me in a way. (laughs) And then, and like, and you know, just like I would say my good friend Brian O'Connell is that of Miles, right. you know, and and I'm sure other people have mentors. You have Paul yep. and things like that. So, and I can see that in your performance. Right. But like, you know, I, and, and I think that's wonderful, you know, and I hope one day maybe someone takes that from me or something. Right. Like that, yeah. You, know? you yeah. don't have to, but if you want to. Okay. You can go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you think your philosophy as a teacher has changed over the years? Oh, a lot. Okay. I mean, for, first of all, not having a philosophy. Oh, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. Uh, when you're younger and you're doing it, you don't know what you're doing. You're just like, how am I going to get these exercises for a three-hour class? Right. Like, you know, and teach these people something and do it well. You get nervous. And um, uh, to having a philosophy, like you develop your style more, you get more aged into it, you know, where you're getting more seasoned as a performer. You're learning a lot more about yourself and about how to perform and the intricacies of it. That Then you start tailoring your teaching towards that, you know, and, and then you have a philosophy. And I was even talking to Miles about this on his podcast uh, because He's like, I'm a, he, I was like, he goes, what kind of teacher do you think I, I was? And I was like, this, this, he goes, oh, I don't do that. And I'm like, well, that's because I took you like 12 years ago. You shouldn't be doing <laughs> right. that really anymore. Right. You know, and it's funny because it's like, yeah, you, you should not be the same teacher you were last year. Right. I, hopefully yeah. you continue to learn and grow. Yeah. You just like always, you are as a player. Like every workshop I do, I learn something about the way I teach it. Right. Now, what is a typical class or workshop? Like, so I think a lot of people struggle with not even knowing how to, to structure a shell of that. Like they just do, and it's a standard that works, but they just are like, okay, we're going to circle up and then we're going to go into, so do you have like a certain method that your each of your classes has sort of that rhythm to? Um, yes. So kind of what I do now is every, it's not. They're all different exercises or things, but they all lead into one another. Okay. So they're not just like, we did that. Now we're forgetting that and moving on to another thing. You're all warmed up. It's like sometimes we don't have time in a workshop to warm up. You know, they're paying for three hours. I want to get to it. Go get a coffee and warm up, you know? Like, right. <laughs> like, so I want to, like today it was like we had to get in and we had under two hours. And I had 16 people. And it was class. playing with power workshop today? Yeah. Oh, in under two hours. Yeah. And that was tough. And, but we did it and, and, and not, and to give credit to the Florida kids, they were great. Yeah. And, um, uh, but going back to what I'm saying, so like the first exercise is, uh, uh, this, and then the second one, I want you to use what you just focused on in that and now add it to this exercise. And then the third exercise of the fourth, and then they each lead into each other using those small pebbles of knowledge as you go. So you start wrapping them in to place. Okay. Yeah. And now you just, you had said that uh, Westside is doing a new curriculum. Yes. Okay. So with this, how many classes does Westside have? Right now, six. Okay. Do, is there a policy of, uh, is every school and every theater, different policy of like everybody passes no matter what, or not necessarily? Um, you, so like Westside's policy right now is obviously, um, not everybody passes. They okay. have to retake sometimes. Um, if they're not ready to go forward. How are they assessing that? Uh, the teachers. Okay. Yeah. 
are they, but do the teachers are like, they know at the end of class, certain, like certain topics there, you know, like it's hard to, it's a subjective art, mm-hmm. but at the same time, do they have like, they have to hit, they have to be able to do second beats like or quantitative yes. things. Right. You no, know, I, you know, I don't know if it's that official because Levin and Annie run our education right. department. I don't think it's that official, but like. There's definitely like an outcome to the end of each thing. Okay. You have to know this before we can move you on. Okay. You can't do this next level if you don't have a firm grasp of what we're doing in this level. Because, A, if I push someone that doesn't have a firm grasp of this, you know, uh, whatever this class is, like character or something, then I can't push them into the next class because it's, A, going to be a horrible experience for them and for the rest of the classmates in there. It's going to, they're going to have the, they're going to probably, the teacher's going to have to more focus on that person that's a little behind when all we have to do is just, I think you need to take this another, one more time. So, yeah. So between, cause you haven't done it at Westside yet. So like when you were at Groundlings and IO in those curriculum schools, have you yourself had to ever have that conversation with someone like, Hey, I'm not going to be passing you. Yeah. Especially the Groundlings. Okay. Groundlings is more cutthroat. Okay. So I've definitely had a conversation where telling someone they can't even be here anymore. So how does that, because I think that's... That's hard. It's, it's hard. And, and I, no theater, I think, but the Groundlings does that. Really. I think so, right? Like I it, don't know for sure, but... It, I don't I, either, but we all know that that's a tough, like... Yeah. Yeah. But, but at I.O. or Westside, I've never had to tell... I mean, unless they're misbehaving or they're breaking our some of our policies. Right, and we'll get to that yeah. for sure here, or we can get to it now. But um, I think that's also something that people need to be mentored and coached through is like how you do have that conversation. Cause it's super stressful for both sides. Uh, especially if it's like, Hey, you're not grasping this. And it's well, not even like you're, you're a decent human. You're not grasping this. So yeah. And I'll give you a specific example of like, look, I, at the beginning of my classes, especially at the groundlings and they, it depends on the theater, but let's just take the groundlings for instance, at the beginning of class, I say, look, 80% of you are not going to pass the first time. That's the expectation I put out. Because it's really hard, you know, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of retaking a class and, and doing it again. Uh, you want to grasp this. They can take it, I think, up to two times or three times before okay. they, they get out of the program, you know. But, like, but I think with any school, whether it's that strict or not, I think you need to set the expectations. Like, in order – oh, someone just beamed in oh the room. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. It's Captain Picard. Oh Patrick my Stewart, <laughs> my hero. He's here. Hey, Patrick. He's like, I'm going to tell you something about teaching. <laughs> um, I know. That was my best Patrick Stewart. Right. Um, uh, but uh, but I think you have to set expectations at your first week. Okay. I think you have to say, look, um, this is what we're going to do this class. This is what I expect at the midpoint and at the end. But you always have to be conferencing, I think, with your students at the middle point, saying this is what you do really well, this is what you need to work on. And then at the end of the class, so from the middle on, they know what their goals are to get there. They know what you're you're looking for. You're very transparent with them. I'm very open and transparent. This is what I need from you. You're not doing emotional work. If you can't do that, I can't pass you. You have four weeks to figure it out. Okay. <laughs> Not that you're going to, I'm going to help you, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. But so I think, I think just constant communication with the individual, um, Groundlings does that very well. Okay. Um, you know, we have a midpoint. I was going to ask, so like, do you on your own or in the schools that you've been, um, 
Because I have no, I mean, well, right now I'm the, currently the only teacher. Sure. So I do it, but I don't have it written down anywhere, but I think it absolutely would be a policy once I start branching out that, like, you're going to have a mid-point conversation with mm-hmm. your students, and you should be having a closing sure. conversation with your students. Yep. Were you, did you always, was that something, like you said, Groundlings had that yep. in place? Um, did a place like I.O. have that in place? Um, not when I was there. Okay. I don't know how it is now. Right. I think they, I don't know. I mean, Craig emails uh, okay. his students all the time now. Right. I know that. And like, that's just his way of doing it. Right. I don't know if there's a requirement for it. Okay. I mean, I haven't taught there in a long time. So when would, but it's something that you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, and if your curriculum's not do it, you just do it as a teacher. Right. Because you're going to find out, I mean, you should tell your, every school should be doing it. I don't know why you wouldn't sit down and, and, and say, this is what I think you're, I always start positive. This is what I think you do really well. You listen, you add specific information. It's not, sh- I don't write a paragraph and I hand them a sheet. Okay. And I go like, this is what you do really well, listening. The, the, and then I, ex- then I explain it to them. Then I say, this is what I think you need improvement on. Um, you know, your walk-ons, your, you know, uh, you know, maybe listening or like, you know, things, whatever it is, whatever your terminology at your school is. Sure. And, um, and then I have a little note section like anything else I can write. Like, I think you're doing great. If you just keep playing character, you're, you, when you play a character, you're invincible. It's when you don't, you fall to pieces, you know? And then they like to know that right. because then they're not in the dark. Right. And that helps them bring their power out, you know? Right. I think that's our job as teachers is to help us find that and bring it out, you know? So let's talk about that as a great bridge into it's our, like, it's not my job to tell someone whether or not they're funny or not, because that's their life. No, we're not, it's not our job to right. do that. Right. My job, right, you said, like, is to help Elevate be the best they can, whatever that is for them. Yeah. But let's talk about when they do make choices, though, that uh, lend themselves to the sexism or the racism or whatnot. Misogyny or something right. like that. Do yeah. you uh, stop a scene and call it out? Yeah. Okay. So. Because I don't want another student to feel threatened and or, uh, like, they have to take it. Right. You know what I mean? Like they had this is just the way it is. I'm going to have to sit through this misogynistic bullshit for like three minutes. Right. And feel uncomfortable. And like, I don't allow that in my classroom. So why would I let a scene go on? So, and so like, but again, I set that expectation that, at the top okay. and I can tell you it curbs it. Okay. It curbs it. But you curb, but you set it at the top by saying like, I'm just not going to tolerate it. I say there's no room for it. Here. Okay. You know, Westside has a policy like that. We don't do it. You know, this is a safe place. Uh, you know, um, you know, no misogynistic jokes, no racist jokes, no st- even like playing like high stereotypes. You right. know, and but it's having a conversation with them about it. And if someone slips, I don't necessarily call it as malicious at first. I go, okay, let's stop. And you know, like I'll give you an example. And it doesn't happen to me a lot now because I set this expectation at the top. But, you know, and, and this guy was being completely innocent and not malicious. He was putting his, he kept going in the seam and putting his arm around girls. Okay. And, like, trying to be boyfriend and girlfriend all the time. And I can tell the girl was kind of like, she was into the scene. But then once that happened, I was like, okay, stop. And I was like, you know, this is level one. We're just not touching. That's just not what we're doing. We're not there yet. You know, we don't know each other. Um, I've been on a team for 14 years. We can slap, kiss, hug, whatever we do. We trust each other. We know each other. We're a family. Um, you know, but we're not there yet. And I've even, even if I've said it, I still need to reiterate it when I see the behavior happening. And then he was like, cool. And then he did it one more time. And I was like, okay, he's just, he's in the heat of the moment. So I stopped it. 
and had him sit down. And then afterwards, I just talked to him. I said, look, you know, what's going on here? He goes, I, I just, I keep, I just get in the heat of the moment. I was like, okay, well, you need to stop doing it because that's not where we are and it's not cool. And he goes, okay, and he never did it again. You know, so it's, you got to look for like, is he being a creepo or is he just in the heat of the moment and just, but if it keeps happening, you have to set those boundaries and you have to pull them aside and talk to them. Have you ever had someone stop the scene on their own and be like, I can't, this is uncomfortable? You know, I've never had that happen, okay. actually. How, do, you, do you encourage an environment where they'd feel safe to do so? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I will always say, like, again, set those expectations. If you feel like you're threatened or you are going to get hurt, like if someone picks up a chair and, like, you know, like sometimes that happens. And I'll always, I'll be like, if I see that, like, put that down, you know, like, or whatever. Like, I'll, st I usually stop it before an improviser will stop it. Because I think usually an improviser is more afraid to stop it. Right. So that's, as a teacher, we have to lead by example. That, that's also our job, I feel like. Yeah. So, like, if I feel like, I'm like, as an audience member, I don't want to see someone pick up a chair and fake throw it at somebody. Right. That's tense. That's, you know, like, uh, that's dangerous, you know, like, uh, you know. And they could accidentally, without purposefully hit somebody you know i may i remember making that mistake in acting class myself in college i kicked a chair and it hit someone in the knee uh and i felt fucking terrible right and i'll always remember that right and my teacher said you will never do that again or you will be out of here if you compromise the safety of the audience and your fellow actors you are not a safe person to play this was like a long time ago in just acting, not in improv. And I always remember that because I'm like, God, I could have hurt somebody. Myself, my partner. Right. And like, you know. But that, and, but like, you did, but the thing is like, that wasn't malicious. You didn't know. No, it was you the had the moment. Right. And so I find a lot of times, a lot of these things come up because under anxiety and under the pressure of being on stage without their script, especially in like a, a lower level class, like sometimes things will come out and then we just have to make them aware. Yeah. And then they're like, oh. And then they don't mm -hmm. do it again. Yeah, exactly. It's always setting those expectations. Yeah. It becomes a lot of expectations at the top. Right. So you got to reiterate them throughout the course of the class. Right. Especially right. if you see something. Yes. You got. You can't just ignore it and go like, oh, that scene's over. Let's go down. It's like, well, I'm stopping it because of this. Do you ever find yourself stopping and then landing up having a bigger conversation about diversity on stage? Or? Yeah, I've done that before for sure. Okay. And again, I think I just have rolled it into how I teach class now. Okay. You know? And that's been for a long time, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know some people, do you think, so some people will just say, look, we're in level one, we're just not there yet, We're and they'll avoid the conversation altogether. But I don't, I haven't decided how I feel about that yet, to be honest. Like, do we, I don't know if burying your head in the sand and pushing on to the next teacher is the way to go. Uh, versus like having just a fruitful discussion about how this can be perceived by people on stage and in the audience and why this isn't maybe the choice you want to be making. Yeah. So like, what's the, the so like, like, so some people will just say like, Oh, we're level one. We don't go blue. We don't talk about satire. Sure. Yeah. And then they just like move on. I don't. Yeah. But you look as a teacher, you have to tell people why, just like an, an improv scene. If I'm going to say something or have a, I have to give a why. You know, like, you know, why am I making these choices? Uh, you know, I feel like, and I think in, in, in teaching, which is different than improv, you have to say, this is why I'm saying don't go blue. I don't just say don't go blue, because someone might not even know what that means. Right. They don't know what, like, 
blue. They might know what blue is, but they don't really know what it is. Right. And so I think uh, just transparency and clarity is always a great thing. Um, Putting it all on the table, putting all your chips out and going like, you know, the reason why we don't go blue, because it's my philosophy and improvs, the best players in improvs philosophies from that we play the top of their intelligence. Now, let me explain to you what the top of their intelligence means. You know what I mean? Because some people don't know what that means. Right, right. You know, um, so like, I'm all about, even if it's a first class where you're talking a lot, I understand it's a lot, but like, you have to get that stuff out. Right. And if you can split it up into a couple classes, get the important stuff like the, you know, protection safety stuff out first. And if you have to, in the second class, cover a little bit more, that do that. I mean, that's up to you guys as whoever's doing a curriculum, but like you want to get it out soon. Right. Do you feel with that approach, uh, you won't get as much uh, pushback when you're giving notes either from students? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I I don't get a lot of pushback. I get like, I'll get, I always tell them if you have a question or you're, you don't get it, ask me. And that's what, again, setting those expectations, like, you know, and like, so then I'll get those questions. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, and sometimes you get that big question, well, you told, you know, Peter to do this, but you're telling me to do this. This is the opposite. Well, that's because Peter's in a different place than you are (laughs) in performer, you know, and I'm not looking at you versus Peter. I'm looking at you. So I have to give you that note. I think that's actually a great takeaway for people who are maybe getting challenged and pushback is that I'm looking at you, right? Like I think teachers, I I know this as a teacher, but students don't always know this. And I'll say this a lot. And I'm like, you're not going to believe me when I say this, but I'm not judging you against your peers. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you. And then I'm looking at you from day one to day seven. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a big takeaway for a lot of people. And I think a big takeaway for me was that what I realized is I'm not looking at you as a team in a level. I'm looking at you as individuals. Right, because you're teaching, not coaching. Yes. So I'm looking at you as your individual growth, and I'm not comparing you to anybody uh, or anything like that. So it's it's I, I focus on the individual and their journey in improv. What are your thoughts then if they have a uh, – if there's a performance tied to that? To that well, class. like if you're like later in class and you're doing a performance, then there'll be ensemble notes. Okay. But then we've gotten there. Okay. In the early levels, okay. it's more individual training. Right. But when you get like you're teaching a herald level or some sort of form level, then yeah, there's going to be a little bit of transition. Right. Um, this is mostly for newer cl- newer classes at first. Right. You know. What is your thought about? Um, so some people believe that uh, green teachers or first time teachers should always teach like a level one, and some people feel like that's actually not the place. To start them, um, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any? Th- I'm just throwing that one out there. You know, I don't have any science behind it, honestly. Right. But I know, like most theaters do, they start at level one. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine that level one's a little bit more easier to teach, but they're also a little bit more green. So you put green versus green. How does that work? You know. Um, yeah, I honestly don't have yeah. any science. I can't honestly. That's another thing about a teacher. You should always admit when you don't have an answer. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. I honestly don't have any science behind that. And and um, I, I bet if I ask someone like Annie and Levin they, with with uh, feedback forms and things that they get, they probably can see what that right. feedback is. And that was going to be my next question. So does Westside already have in place like students give feedback evaluations? Yes. Okay. And then how do um, – like currently at Westside – 
how do the teachers get evaluated in addition to the students? Are they, um, like, do you guys have a way, so if a teacher, like a newer teacher is struggling, is there a, a formal process if they can go to someone like Annie and be like, hey. Yeah. So we do like sheets and then they fill out like rate them and they can put comments and things like that. Um, So then we, we, you know, obviously if you see the same issue coming up, then you you have to talk to them. Um, But, you know, we do trainings like we'll bring in a teacher or bring in Annie Levin will run something and they'll, and we're even starting to do this more now. New curriculums rolling. We had Eric Honeycutt come in and teach our teachers how we're going to do this new curriculum. Uh, you know, so we bring in a master teacher to teach. Okay. And you know, so you got to do that every once in a while too. Um, uh, and I've been hired to do that as well. Like talk to a theater and I was gonna teach ask, their right. teachers. Yeah. Like teach their teachers. And I've been starting to do that more and more at festivals. Right. Um, because that hasn't been happening and I implore any master teacher to do that. Right. Because people need it. And, uh, you know, I think like anything, you have to teach them quickly. And, you know, like if they don't know a certain exercise, they'll call, Annie or Levin or something and go like, I've seen them work on it, like show them how to do the exercise and why they're doing the exercise, not just show them how to do it. They've got to understand why they're doing it. You can't just learn an exercise and just give it to them because that's not, they're like, okay, well we just did this. We acted like bananas for 20 minutes. Why do we act like bananas for 20 minutes? Well, the reason why we wanted to do this was, you know, now most places, uh, it's literally like, oh, someone's expressed an interest in teaching or that person looks like they're ready, then they'll shadow someone and then they're ready to go in there. I don't know that that's necessarily enough. Well, I'll tell you what the Groundlings does and I think it's the best training for teachers. Um, You have to, and they pay their trainees. Not a lot, like 30 bucks a class. Okay. Like if, say in LA, the average improv teacher makes... For a three and a half hour class, probably like a hundred bucks. Okay. Maybe less. I don't okay. know. It depends on the 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 if it's a new teacher to an experienced right. teacher, uh, that could go up. Right. Uh, but like, let's just say that's the average. So like, you know, the trainee is is so in the groundlings when I had to do it, um, I had to be in a whole level with uh, a master teacher there, and then he would make me do some exercises and he would be taking notes on me. And, like, he would be like, okay. And then at halftime, halftime, uh, <laughs> at the mid-break, he would go, okay, this is what I saw you did. Um, I, I think you need to explain it this way. Um, do that. And so he's teaching me and his class. Because uh, I had Andrew Fried, Friedman. Uh, that's why I keep saying he. So but, he would be teaching and then ask you to go up and. Yeah. And like okay. He would email me before class, go, you're going to do these exercises. Okay. Today. Okay. Let me know if you have any questions. Obviously, I've been to the program. Right. So I know how to do them. Um, And then he would let me run. And then eventually, as it's a 12 uh, class, it's 12 weeks or six weeks, two classes a week. Okay. Uh, So eventually, he would, I would do the, he would do the first half of class. I do the second half of class. Okay. And then, it's not even done yet. They call another teacher to come in with Andrew, who was my instructor at the time, to evaluate me. To see if Andrew's doing a good job teaching me how to do a good job. And I remember, um, uh, you know, that was such a great thing because it was another voice. Right. It was. And then, um, so you had two people come in during your 12 class thing of like, you not only had your teacher teaching you, but you had two other main company members or evaluate you. 
Okay. And then they all agree at the end, yeah, he's the teacher. Right. Right. It's a lot of scrutiny and a lot of like pressure and stuff like that, but it's it's a good way to checks and balances. Yeah. You know, like, uh, uh, and that's why that school is so strong with their teachers and their program, you know? And, and I think like, I don't know, again, I haven't taught at IO for a long time and things like that. I don't know how they do it, but yeah, it was just shadowing for a class right. or something, but right. you, you, I don't know. Some teachers might do it differently, but that is set in stone what they're supposed to do at rallies. And I, I think that is a good system. Maybe not have two people come in, right. but have like, you know, do what you can do. Like if you're teaching Lauren and, and say I live in Orlando, right? You teach, and because that's and, gonna happen. And you have, yeah, <laughs> you have, um, you have uh, uh, someone that wants to be a teacher, and then I come in and evaluate them, and then we talk. You and right. I talk, and then you give them the notes, or I pull them aside and give them notes, right? Personally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I think that's super. It's super important. I think it's super important that teachers. I also think it's super important that teachers. And every and I I think it depends on the size of the community and the school they're in, but they also have a place they can go to other teachers to bounce off yeah. ideas. Yeah. Because one approach may not be working, and so and so may have an approach that you like. And you're like, hey, how are you handling that? Yeah, exactly. And and I'll tell you something. Like I had been when I started teaching at the Groundlings, I had already been teaching all over the world. Right. So and I don't have an ego with it. I don't think a teacher should have an ego. So like I was welcoming the advice on how to teach their style. Because it's very different. Everybody's theater is different. And, like, I tell you, the two the two people I had come and view me, the way – it was almost like someone like, I think you should say it this way. This is how – like, and this is how I run this exercise. Uh, this Andrew does it a little different. But I was, I was like, oh, that's actually a really better way to do it. And then they would even be someone like, you say this really cool. I'm going to take that from you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So right. it worked for everybody. We all learned something from each other. I thought it was just a wonderful, positive experience. Even though it could be nerve-wracking, you know, because someone's evaluating you. Right. And But in the end, it's a very helpful thing. Yeah. It was a very good open dialogue and, like, a better way to do things. Right. And more efficient. And that's what you need. You can't just know all the answers or, you know – some of these people training me have been teaching at the Groundlings much, many more years than me. I gotta have respect for that. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, it's such a process. I love the process though. Yeah. What, um, so with Westside now, cause you are artistic director and that's yeah. a big piece of it. Diversity. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do to ensure? So the thing is, uh, and we've had this conversation off microphone about like, finding diversity in teachers, but there has to be diversity in players before there's going to be diversity in teachers. Mm-hmm. And we're now recognizing that this is a problem sure. and we've been working to fix it. So what are some things that you all do over there for diversity? Uh, well, they do have a diversity program. Okay. Uh, so that is in the works. Uh, definitely people take advantage of it. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like our house teams reflect a lot of what the world looks like these days, okay. you know, like I will say that. And, and, and I'm just getting in there. I, I think that's a lot of Mike Patet and my former AD and things that was really focused on that. And, and some of them, I'm just getting in, but you know me, like I'm, you know, I said this from day one, I'm going to create a safe environment wherever I am. Right. And I'm going to create a safe environment and, and, and make it reflect where we're in LA, a huge melting pot. 
And if it's all seven white dudes on stage, that's like, when I see that now, it makes me cringe a little bit more, you know? <laughs> Obviously, I mean, like, look, there's great teams with seven white guys right. on it. And I, I get it, you know? like, I, And I'm not going to say that's not funny, because King Ten is six white guys and a girl. Right. Who's the most brilliant woman right. in the world. <laughs> We're very lucky she takes up, like, seven women right. and brains, Karen Grachi. Right. But, like, uh, you know, I get kind of weirded out by that even nowadays. And that's a good thing. I should be weirded out by that. Right. I should look at something and oh, go, this doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and as an artistic director, I think it's my job to go out and find that talent and bring them to our theater. Like, whoever, a uh, person of color, LBG. TQ, and that's a little easier in LA. I will say that because right. it, it's no one's as afraid to do that a little bit. Well, someone was referring to like they're seen as the blue bubble, mm-hmm. and just that they get to live in this sort of like that's what that's LA, it's right? A blue bubble, you know, yeah. and like I, I can't imagine maybe talking to Dylan about Omaha how that is, but it's a little bit more concerned, not a, a little bit more blue in Omaha, the bigger cities, and, right? But like I'd be curious to see what they the, the I, and I heard of those struggles, um, but. You know, I, I'd be curious to see, you know, especially like uh, the challenges in that. Because, uh, yeah, there is challenges in L.A., but I'm seeing it less and less. I'm The great, beautiful thing is every theater I go to to watch theaters. And one thing that's great about Westside is they say, I know you're the artistic director here, but I need you out in the community watching and going to other theaters. And they're brilliant. Those guys are just brilliant, brilliant guys. And like... um you know, so I go to the pack and I see their diverse talent. Right. And I, you know, I go to IO and I'm seeing it a lot more. Right. IO didn't have that a lot, but now it is. Right. And I will say West Side Comedy is doing a great job with that. And, you know, we don't want to make a stink about it, you know, but I just want it to happen because there's, it's not like we just need to get this quota filled. It's, they're funny. Right. <laughs> right. We need to find these people right. that have a point of view. I was talking to a kid today about like, man, get your point of view on stage. Yeah. Find your voice. We need that point of view right. in improv. We right. don't have it. Right. We need it. It's right. in stand-up. It's in sketch sometimes. But like, I need that point of view in, in improv. Don't right. roll over to anybody else's point of view. Right. You know, it's refreshing to me because that, someone goes like, What's improv going to be like in the next five years? I'm going to be, it's going to be more diverse and there's going to be more point of views. Right. And that it's going to be amazing in that sense. Yeah. That's where it's going to be. And it's going to, that's the next level of our improv. That's the next level of where we go and how we evolve in improv is have more point of views from women, um, uh, from people of color, LGBTQ, all that stuff. Yeah. What if someone is thinking about becoming a teacher? What's some advice or thoughts you have for them? Um, I would say um, watch people teach. Go to those workshops that you're like you can kill two birds with one stone. Like <laughs> take an improv workshop from T.J. Jakodowski, but watch him teach. Take one from Susan Messing and watch her teach. Take one from Karen Gracchi and watch her teach and learn something from improv for her. Um, network. Go to the camps. Go to these things where you can meet with people. Go to these panels. I mean, improv is so much more open when I started. Again, I was asking permission to coach. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. There was no process to it. Um, now there's just a huge need for it. You know, there's so many improvisers. But, like, you know, I, I, I say you got to keep learning. The Dr. Dennis analogy. you got to keep learning. Right. You know, 
You got to and, and as leaders of this industry, you've got to keep pushing that envelope too. You know? I think that's a big thing too, though, is that once you're a teacher, you're there's also you're also a leader and a voice for mm-hmm. those, and you need to keep that in mind and behave. What you say is such. important. Yeah, they're going to listen to it, right? And the way you say it, and you do have to be careful. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily hard for improvisers, but I don't know in every community, you right? Know? I just know, and I can know what the people I teach and the people that are under me in my theater. Like, that's something I am in control of. Right. And every little bit counts. But I know LA is doing a good job with it, as I've seen. I mean, we can always do better. I will say right. that. But I'm definitely seeing a big change. Yeah. I um, I look to the LA community so much now for just when I'm looking to reach out for more information mm-hmm. or trying to connect with someone. It's amazing how, to me, my first place is to go to the West Coast now and like, I got to get myself out there more something. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I will tell you, some of the best teachers are there. Yeah, I Legend, agree. Legendary teachers. Yeah, I agree. And I got the, I was lucky to take a lot of them. Right. And there's obviously in Chicago, New York. Sure. I mean, I, and I'm not, not taking I mean, there's away. some good ones in Florida. I'm just yeah, gonna... <laughs> well, well, no, but I will even say that, even in smaller markets, there's brilliant teachers that nobody even knows about. Right. That's the great, that's, that's the thing I do at camp is like, uh, I call them my, I don't even want to call them a wild card anymore but like i'll take a teacher that nobody knows and i'll try to put them in there because i'm like you need to know who this teacher is right and it's and sometimes because it's, they're great yeah and it's know? just their lack of either being able to travel for whatever reason or whatever it is put them on a national stage though yes yeah you know? and there's people that have been doing this for years more than me that are teachers and i'm like everybody needs to know you right like you know right. you are brilliant yeah i mean i i do that i try to do that with my camps yeah uh, try to get someone, and, and they're always successful. Always. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you if they want more information? Uh, well, I'm at the Westside Comedy Theater uh, currently, and that's in Santa Monica, California, Los Angeles, basically, uh, by the beach. Okay. Um, uh, it's a great theater. Um, uh, Improv Utopia is a camp director of that. You go to improvutopia.com. Um, we have three camps. Uh, we're the largest, I guess, improv camp in the world. And we do, uh, we're a nonprofit as well. So you can go to www.improvutopia.com or theimprovnetwork.org, which are all uh, 501c3 uh, uh, companies that give back to improv. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs>